Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals. That's an M. What's up, everybody? I'm Maggie. I'm Sean, and this is Couple Goals. And we're reintroducing ourselves because it's been nine months since our last episode. Yeah. But so, we're still the OG Couple Goals. We've been around since like 2018. Hey. Yeah, intermittently. No, we're always around. I meant as a podcast. I was like, I mean, yeah, yeah been, we we are. We've been married twenty years. We, we <laughs> yeah, we're win. we're around, but I meant the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but uh, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> How how's listener doing? Did you miss us? I hope you missed us. Uh, we're back. We're here to talk about Black Adam. No, we're not. Yeah, That's we're not gonna talk we're about here. Black Adam, the new DC comic movie with The Rock. I've read reviews of this movie. I have no intention of seeing it. No. And but I've I've read reviews because I'm curious. Nobody and cares. they keep talking about how charismatic the rock is. <laughs> I'm like, what? When? <laughs> he has two faces. <laughs> like he he's never I don't maybe people define charisma differently than I do, but uh he's not charismatic at all. He plays the same character in every movie. I'm not joking. I think if we go back to our episode in January, the literally the last time we talked, like I'm, I think we might have talked about the Rock. Probably, that's possible. <laughs> I think I was ragging on him more for I was trying to understand his wrestling character. Like I, I genuinely think just... you only talk about a couple things. <laughs> what up next? It's Up there's next? a new comic book movie and it has Up the rock next, in it. You hate Aquaman. There's no Aquaman stuff coming up. However, there is a Black Panther movie with Namor, who is Marvel's Aquaman, and he has little hummingbird wings on his ankles so he can fly. Please shut up. Said <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I can't. laughs> so please shut up. I can't handle that shit. Yeah. That's too much yeah. shit for me. That's that's a thing that's happening. You're like, he has hummingbird wings on his ankles. Yeah, yeah. You know, no. They do. They they flutter like, Mm-mm. like Mm-mm. hummingbird no. wings. No. Yeah. No. This isn't this isn't Harry Potter. It's it's gonna We're be... not like, oh, his ankles are the snitch. <laughs> like we're not playing that game. Yeah. That's that's pretty much what they look like. It's, okay. It's ridiculous. Oh. I this hurts me. <laughs> like boy it hurts my face well i really hates it so yeah we are back you guys um quick housekeeping since it's been nine months you might not remember some stuff <laughs> uh we we both exist in other realms so if you like totally miss us which i assume you do why wouldn't you um, Sean exists on another podcast called Steve Reads a Comic. Yes. And he is there weekly with Steve weekly-ish. and Rob. Weekly-ish. People deserve breaks. <laughs> but he's there weekly-ish and with uh, Steve and Rob. And they are they're basically doing what his section is, except it's a bunch of old white dudes just like yelling at each other three middle-aged white dudes who've known each other their entire lives discussing nerdy shit and sometimes cleveland sports and then i am on another podcast it used to just be me solo but since i have 
since I was missing, <laughs> since I was MIA, um, I have since brought on a co-host and it's called Be Unemployable. And it's all about, you know, making it so that you don't have to work for other people, working for yourself, entrepreneurs in the neurodivergent community. So you can find me there with my co-host, Jamie. So, yeah, that's that's where you can find us other than here. So if you're like, oh, my God, you guys, I miss you so much. And I put Steve Reads a Comic on YouTube, usually, if we don't have technical issues. We have a YouTube channel if you want to watch us. I don't know if Jamie's gotten around to it. She handles all of that. That's not my... But we record when we do ours. So, on to topics. Yeah, so the format of our show, as a reminder, uh, we both cover a different topic. Usually that's the, the we just cover the stuff we like. Maggie's into murder and murder porn. I'm, I'm a, not just into that. I also like weird shit. <laughs> Usually involving murder. <laughs> I like weird things, like unsolved things, murdery things. Um, I like so conspiracy theories. You do? Remember, we covered lizard people on this oh, podcast. Yeah. Um, we covered, it's a Netflix series right now called The Watcher. We covered that on this podcast episodes back. Yeah. So uh, it's like we wa- we cover like weird shit like that. Like I cover, not Sean. Yeah. But like I covered Silk Road. I mean, I guess technically that's a murder thing, but <laughs> it's not like I cover weird. All right. So correction. Maggie covers murder, murder porn, and I cover nerd shit. <laughs> That's is that, is that better? I cover weird shit <laughs> and I'm, weird shit. I'm a weirdo, and I, lo- I like. I also like plants. Would you like me to cover plant shit? I could talk about like genus and subgenus of plants. Genus. Please don't make yeah. me listen to that. So maybe. Maybe don't complain. I, I'm not complaining. I was I was just trying to sum up our interests mm-hmm. without explaining each individual one. Like I could go into comic book characters, I could go into movies, I go into video. I'm just I cover nerd shit. It's just an umbrella. I like weird shit. Murdery shit covers a lot of stuff, including weird shit. I like weird shit. So yeah, so we each have a topic and we both share them. Normally I share them to absolute silence because Sean hates me and doesn't like to engage with me. False. Fake news. I don't like murdery shit because as someone who is empathetic, I can't help but put myself or my family in these situations in my brain Mm -hmm. and it freaks me out and I don't like it. I like, I like false crime. I don't like true crime. I like horror movies and gore, but I don't like realistic stuff. I also like false crime and horror movies yes but i also like true crime yeah i'm not and weird shit it doesn't have to be like the worst thing ever yeah what are you covering today betty page okay so it doesn't have to be like like we don't have to talk about albert fish for it to be a good time true crime people know what i'm talking about (laughs) That dude False was, crime people are sitting here like, I don't know what that means. Albert Fish was like... Is he a Batman villain? No. Albert Fish would come into your house and be like, <clears throat> oh my gosh, I just want, like, 
you guys are so great. I'm just going to take your daughter to meet, like, the most famous person ever real quick. I'll be right back. And instead, <laughs> he, like, rape and eat your daughter hmm. and then send you letters about it. Yeah. Mm. That's Albert Fish. Yeah, let's engage about that guy. <laughs> that sounds fun. Let's delve into So, instead, we're talking about Betty Page. I thought that would be a fun... I like Betty Page. I appreciate women who show their titties. I think it's thoughtful. Okay. So Fair I enough. like I like Betty Page. Yeah. I can't wait to tell you this story. What are you talking about today? I am going to be covering I went to look at you. I'm like, you're going to fucking divorce me. I have this expectant look. of like, <laughs> like a puppy dog. I'm getting divorced. <laughs> um, I'm going to be covering arcade games in general. Just the. <laughs> Did you make a better face? <laughs> That's how my face settles. <laughs> no, it's not. Your teeth don't stick out like that. Your <laughs> eyes don't squint up like that normally. Okay, that's a that's a rather broad topic. It is, but okay. But it's yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get into it. I know everyone's like really excited now. Okay, so would you like to go first or second? Um, I'm gonna go first. Okay. Because I think the majority of our audience is here for your stuff, and if I go next, they'll they'll just turn my shit off. <laughs> well, you're going second next episode, so. Oh, gonna, are we rotating? Yeah, we're alternating. Oh. All right, yeah, so I, I want to talk about arcade games. Um, Maggie looked really bored, but... Uh, I didn't. I, I think a lot of people, you know, I, we're pretty old now. A lot of people, like, they know what arcade games are, but they don't necessarily understand what arcade culture was, because that was a real thing, that growing up in the... I've seen Wayne's World. <laughs> Like, I get it. I saw Terminator 2. <clears throat> but that, even in Wayne's World, that is like a corporate arcade. Like, it's, it's. I'm talking about like arcade, arcade cultures. Kind of, it, I'm not going to be going too deep into that, but I just, I found arcade history interesting. So wh- when do you think like the first like electronic arcade game came out? Like, as I remember it, or like, are we talking about like... Like the very first one. What do you, what year do you think they that that hit are we thinking like atari kind of thing where it's just like bonk bonk like that pong yeah. game oh um, that came out in like i don't know 69 71 somewhere like that so i think that came out in the early 70s that was not the very first one that was the first popular one though oh okay <clears throat> need some water good thing you went first i guess i'll anyway. just sit here and be fully hydrated and not be not be sharing my stuff all right, so uh, games of skill were uh, an amusement park midway attraction from the 19th century on. Then, uh, then came the introduction of electricity, and then we had coin-operated machines, and then they became an actual viable business. Uh, pinball machines with electric lights and displays were introduced in 1933, but they didn't have flippers yet. That was uh, 1947. Oh, I didn't know we were talking about pinball machines as part of arcade games. Well, no, I was th- asking you specifically about electronic ones. Yeah. I wasn't asking you about I was like the evolution of like all uh I don't know what what are, uh, midway attraction style games whatever the hell. <clears throat> so electromechanical games uh which would be like Pong uh debuted in 
1966 uh, with Sega's uh, Periscope. And then a guy in the late 60s, a college student named Nolan Bushnell. Do you know that name? No. Video game nerds know that guy. He, he founded Atari eventually. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> you just don't care. Did you have an Atari? No. Oh, yeah, you I was like... born in 1981. <laughs> this is what I mean. Like, this is a recent history that has already been forgotten because, you know, we're a generation removed from it. Yeah. I so, and you were born during it and you're like, yeah, I wasn't there for that. I wasn't born during 1966. No, you were born during the boom or right before the, the boom crashed. My mom was born in 1963. Like... Like, that's my mom's generation, yeah. not mine. All right. So uh, he created something called uh, Computer Space, came out in 1971. And then uh, he teamed up with someone. Sounds good. <laughs> I can't find his name. So his last name is Dabney. But I feel like I have his first name somewhere, but I don't Coleman? know where. It's not Dabney Coleman. Um, but uh, he teamed up with Ted Dabney and they created uh, with the help of Alan Alcorn, a table tennis game called Pong in 1972. Oh my God. I was one year off. Yeah. On my Pong. It was like, can, let's celebrate that. Like, <laughs> I, you would think I actually like, know. <laughs> no, I, could tell I don't you, want to make that mistake. I, but I could tell you, what did you just say to me? <laughs> I'm like, bitch. No, with like, you know, arcade game history. Wrong. And the reason that I know it is because I took in like all of the information I know from TV and movies. Yeah. And I took an aggregate of what year I think it is based on all the sets and the movies and everything I've seen. And that's what I did. Well, good job. Thanks. All right. So Pong became a commercial success. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> good, great job. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, so they entered a golden age. The industry entered a golden age in 1978 with Space Invaders. Space Invaders was the first video game I ever remember playing. I don't. It wasn't at the arcade. It was at a friend's house on an Atari 2600, I believe. So that was the first. I've video. never played an Atari. Um, uh, Due to the fact that I was born in the 80s, I'm not so like you. From 78 to 82. There was a big boom. A lot of companies, Namco, Atari, Williams, and Nintendo were all putting out arcade games. Uh, the biggest one be, back then being Pac-Man. I remember seeing Pac-Man places. Now, I was too little to like go to an arcade, but they were popular enough that there would be two or three arcade games at a grocery store. Yeah. What? Yeah. There would be arcade games at grocery stores. We are not that far apart in age. Yeah. What are you talking about? And the the ones I remember, um, I remember like Sega's Hang On, Outrun, and Nintendo's Punch Out were at the local grocery store, that the Clicks, Acme you Click went, store. But you lived in a very different neighborhood than I did. But five years is a huge difference when you're a kid, though. Maybe. Yeah, I don't remember what year Punch Out came out, but it was early '80s. So again, you you weren't like. At the grocery Cognizant, store. <laughs> as some folks say. You weren't aware of, of this kind of stuff going on at the time because you were really little. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Cognizant. Cognizant. Um, uh, uh. In 1981, the arcade video game industry was worth $8 billion in the U.S. Okay. So <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> then there was the crash of 82. Uh 
due to several factors uh, market saturation of arcade games the moral panic over video games like there's always a moral panic over oh, new just, media just wait i'm doing betty page <laughs> always a moral panic um, and then the 83 video game crashed, which is usually credited to Atari's ET game, but I think that was just part of it. Um, and that, it's funny cause that, that's the other thing. I remember a time when video games were like, I knew people who had Atari's, I knew people who had a system called a Vectrex. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Vectrex. That Vec- sounds vector, like ba- vector graphic based. It had its own monitor built in and everything. Uh, so it could do, uh, like raster graphics and, um, and that, and then all of a sudden, video games were just gone until the NES came out. It was like two or three years be, where there was just video games were just like completely like you remember when Guitar Hero fell off and there was just like no yeah. more Guitar Hero. It was like that. It was just like out of nowhere. It was like we don't do that anymore. And then it came back with uh, oh, I guess that was Rock Band with that chick who is on Love Is Blind who is just like <laughs> that's my game. <laughs> It's like, yeah, no wonder you guys got divorced. All right, so uh, the mar- the arcade market recovered by 86 um, with games like Hang On and Space Harrier, a lot of Sega games. Um, and then with the NES, that led to another brief decline in interest in the at the end of the 80s. And then 1991, Street Fighter II hits arcades. I should have known. Saves... <laughs> Saves the arcade industry temporarily. You, you know you can't do topics you've already done, right? <laughs> I'm not doing Street Fighter. I'm talking about arcades and arcade games. And this is where this is where we get to arcade culture. So you had arcade games at places like Chuck E. Cheese, right? Um, we, we, I didn't have a Dave and Buster's. I don't know when they started to exist, but it probably wasn't until years later. But Chuck E. Cheese was the spot. But then there were standalone arcades. We also had another one called Aladdin's Castle. But that, there was just literally places called you know, arcade games and you would go and they were like pool halls. They were dark. (laughs) There were fucking ashtrays everywhere, people smoking. And it was like kids. It was like this weird mix of like kids, preteen, teenage kids, and then kids in their like adults, like early twenties. Right. Sometimes the Terminator shows up. <laughs> Sometimes the Terminator shows up. But that that's a mall arcade. Again, different from You're like, God damn it, Maggie. Learn the <laughs> But difference. no, they, they were no, it's like <laughs> I'm just saying there there was a different culture if you went to just a dedicated arcade. Uh all kinds of cigarette burns on the machines. They were just these places what? were dark, so that way you could, you know, you could see the screens and they'd stand out. Um, there'd usually be like one what dude working there. And it was so they didn't serve this. alcohol, but like it was they some of them that I went to were very seedy. Like ladies can't go there. <laughs> right, get right, exactly. <laughs> going going down to the arcade to get catch me a case. Exactly. A fucking HPV. That's how the original HPV started. That's how that's how all women got it, all men got it. Was down at the arcade back in the eighties. And again though, you had the mall arcades, you had Chuck E. Cheese, you had Aladdin's Castle, bowling alleys had arcade games. Um, but the dedicated arcades were just a different scene. No, I never saw any actual fights break out. Things would get heated with people sometimes because you'd have somebody who'd call the other guy a cheater, which is like impossible. <laughs> but yeah, right. you'd feel like how they're like, or you know, you're. I, they had terms back then for like just you know playing cheesy or whatever. Was it 
how do you play cheesy? Like where you just spam moves over and over. Yeah, that's how I play. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you only do like two moves and get people with frame traps and stuff. What if you do? What if you do like I do, where you just go butt, button, button, mash, button, button, <laughs> button, mash. Pretty much what I did when I would, I'd get put my quarter up on the thing and just watch it, and eventually. When it was my quarter, I would grab it, go up there, and the 23-year-old dude who had been schooling everyone all day would just kick my ass in short order. And I'd be like, I was able to do two fireballs that time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, the progress I made was minimal until the Super Nintendo versions came out. Because it's hard to learn when you get when there's somebody just run, so when somebody's just running the machine. Now what again, you had other places. And me and my friend Todd would go with his dad bold every like Tuesday or something. What? His name was Todd? No, his dad. His dad. Oh, his dad bold. Yeah. I thought you said his like we went with his dad and his dad's name was bold. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> no. His dad, I was like, I'm sorry, what's his, his dad? His dad was in a bowling league and we would go up to Stonehenge and play Street Fighter or whatever. Uh new fighting mortal Kombat came out in 92 i remember the night they installed that uh or not that they installed it but the night that we first saw it um while we were playing street fighter 2 champion edition uh but yeah if you went to arcades though and i remember the other arcade i went to was at a like a campground mm-hmm. that was interesting <laughs> like that was again nothing bad ever Wait, happened i need i need more information so <laughs> So you lived at home, right? Like yeah. you lived at home, and then you're like, "I'm going to go to the arcade." So you went to a campground. No, no, no. This would be the- when I was with my grandparents over the summer. Okay, and I'd stay with them for a week or whatever. Where did they live? They lived in Akron, but they had a camper. Like, <gasps> oh, okay, <laughs> okay, I'm clear. Okay, so now I know that you were at a campground. Yeah. Staying there, yes, and then you'd visit that arcade. Yeah, and they have that okay. Arcade. So, here's me in my mind thinking you are in the ghetto where you grew up <laughs> and you would get on a bike and ride a bike to a campground, no, and visit this arcade. And I was like, I don't understand. No, I would take buses places, I wouldn't ride my bike. I didn't you're have like, an arcade close by. You're like, I was in the ghetto, I had to take the bus. And I usually played at, get killed. at the Rolling Acres Mall, Aladdin's Castle, because that it was on the bus route. So it was a lot easier. Um, but again, it was just a different time, a different culture. It's like, it's like, like Bob's Burgers, when Bob's like, I had a bad childhood. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, that's talking to you. <laughs> um, and then around the 2000s, arcades basically in the US start you know started to go under now you have barcades you have arcade games at you know some random places like movie theaters and whatnot typically it's like dance dance revolution and some retro titles um what what are you looking at uh, d- um, what time <laughs> I was just looking to see how much how much oh. time your topic took that's all it didn't take that long um which is good because you have a lot to cover <laughs> What? That's hilarious. You were so terrified by how much research I did. <sighs> it's an astonishing amount, an impressive amount of research. But anyway, um, so arcade games started to go away because of uh, internet connectivity with video games. Uh, you didn't need to go to the arcade to, and plus fighting games were, were also dying off, which was like the main thing that was keeping that scene alive for a while. Um, and now in over in like Japan, though, arcades are still kicking. They're much mm-hmm. more social over there. They still play fighting games, but it's also Dance Dance Revolution and, and and gun games and stuff like that. 
So here's a here's a legitimate question since you brought up the fact that it appears that Japanese people are more social than we are. Yeah. Is it because they're on top of people? Like your I think you're thinking of China. Oh, you have a lot of space in Japan? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Japan's so why like... do they like each other? <laughs> so why do they like each other? I don't know. Like I Maybe... don't like I don't like anyone. Maybe uh, there's a lot less gun violence over there. People probably feel safer going out. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Imagine. Uh, Imagine. I, I don't know, but they just see it. Arcade, like people like going to the arcade and playing games with each other. Huh. I don't. I can't don't know. Relate. It's a cultural thing, though. Can't it's, relate. Yeah. Doesn't does not resonate with me. Thanks for that great topic. You did a good job. But <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I just wanted to explain. See, you, you even learned, though, a little bit about arcades and how different they were than Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. Yeah. They're very competitive. And uh, again, I, like I said, I never saw. you'd actually be safer at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> like, that's not something you think about. So you ready to hear about Betty Pay? Yes. So she is known as the Queen of the Curves. Yes. Yeah. She was born April 22nd, 1923, in Tennessee to Edna and Roy Page. She was the second of six kids. Six children with siblings born every other year. Hmm. So when we talk about the beginning of her life, that actually really matters. Um, she was a Taurus. I'm just sharing that because I know you will always. She owns a Taurus? She's a Taurus. Oh, I was like, wow, how old is she? <laughs> Doesn't seem like that's pertinent information, but she did. <laughs> she did own a Taurus. No, <laughs> she is a Taurus. And since you're always talking about astrology and how you're a Sagittarius, always. and I'm like, calm down. I just thought you should know. So anyway, she her parents fought constantly. So when Ed, like, to set the scene, when Edna was eight months pregnant with one of Betty's younger brothers. Roy threw Edna out in the rain for refusing to have sex with him. Threw Edna out? When she was eight months pregnant with one of Betty's. Yeesh. Yeah. So that's the type of father figure we're dealing with for this story. Gotcha. Okay. So Roy was unemployed. He moved the family all over Texas and Oklahoma. Now, she was born in Tennessee, remember? Yeah. Moved over Texas, Oklahoma, so she had no stability in her life. Yeah. And eventually the family was evicted and they were living in Oklahoma at the time. And they were super far from everyone they knew because the family was all back in Tennessee. So Roy stole a car, loaded up his family, and they went back to his mom's place in Tennessee. But unfortunately for Roy, the car he stole belonged to a deputy. (laughs) Oops. And... That got him sent to prison for two years. I don't feel like stealing a car is a two-year in prison type deal. But I think when you steal it from a deputy. Right. You kind of get, you get fucked. So, in 1931, he was paroled. And the whole family moved out of his mom's house. And then in 1933, two years later, Roy knocked up the 15-year-old girl next door. Oof. This is this is quite the 
<laughs> quite the example. Uh, yeah. So Edna grabbed all the kids, all six of them. And, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. That's how I wanted it to go. So Edna left him and the children. Mm. And then said, I'll get you kids once I get set up. Yeah. So she leaves. She moves to Nashville. She does send for the kids. Yeah. They eventually get with her when she has enough money. But she keeps telling Betty and her two sisters, like, I never wanted girls. Like, I never wanted daughters. You guys, you guys are like a burden. You Girls are nothing but trouble. Like that kind of shit. Jesus Christ. So she's really strapped for cash in Nashville because she's, you know, she kicked out this dude or whatever. And she puts Betty and her two sisters into the church orphanage. Wow. She's like, I have no money, so you have to go. You have to go to the orphanage. Jesus. And she comes and visits them every weekend. You know, like a mom. <laughs> like a mom does when she puts her kids in the orphanage. And she's like, I will bring you guys home as soon as I'm able. Like, I'll get you. And she did. She actually did. But it took her two years. Wow. But she brought them home. So... Shortly after is when Betty turned 13 and Roy moved back into the house. Oh, yeah. God damn. So Roy moves back in and he starts molesting Betty. Jesus Christ. I don't know why I'm not more involved in these stories. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a terrible co-host when I talk. <laughs> this is all horrible shit. <laughs> you're like horrible shit. Horrible shit. Horrible, horrible, horrible shit. So he molests Betty for the next year and he gives her dimes for her silence. Okay. So with all this bullshit at home, Betty's an amazing student. She was on the student council. She wrote for the student newspaper. She edited the yearbook. But her mother was... Her mother? Her <laughs> mother was awful. She wouldn't, even, she wouldn't allow her to attend prom, but she still had a high school boyfriend and she graduated high school as the salutatorian. She goes on to school. She goes on to George Peabody or something or another and she becomes an English teacher. She absolutely hates teaching because she's Betty Page and she looks like Betty Page. So all the boy students harass the shit out of her. Fantastic. She was. She literally said, like, she was constantly catcalled while she tried to teach, and she was like, "Okay, I can't do this." <laughs> what What grade was she teaching? High school. Oh. So she said that she she couldn't teach. She absolutely hated it. So she tried out. She's like, "I'm I'm she, too hot to teach. Right. I'm just, she's I'm, like, I'm incredibly hot. I can't like, possibly too hot, be too hot to be a teacher of these pubescent boys." She's like, too hot to be a teacher, so tried out. She Then she tried out secretarial work. She also hated it, but she ended up going back to secretarial work throughout her life. Um, in 1943, she married her high school sweetheart. He was in the military, and... It high was school, a, like, like she taught taught him in high school? What? No. <laughs> oh, okay. She's I don't, not married Kayla Turno. <laughs> okay. No. So she had dated that guy, Billy, all throughout high school. And we'll we'll come back to Billy a while for like multiple times. But in 1943, she marries him. He's in the military. And now this is a couple of years after the Pearl Harbor bombing, because that was in 41. Right. Okay. So it's an active wartime at this point. 
and Billy gets stationed in California. He gets stationed in San Francisco. So they go off and she gets a couple of screen tests and she travels off to go do her little screen test thing. And she has this horrible accent because she's from Tennessee, but then she also traveled between Texas and Oklahoma. So it's like girl has no hope. Right. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wow, your accent's a real problem. You need to take like work on your non-regional diction. Right. And the producer says on one of them that it, he's willing to overlook her glaring issues if she would like to entertain him after work <laughs> on the casting couch. Jesus Christ. And she declines and and he says, well, you'll be sorry. And she's like, I don't think I will be, but OK. So she decides like she goes back to San Francisco and she she sews a lot. So she like went back and was making herself like she made a lot of her um, bikinis that she would wear. Yeah. So she goes back, though, and she's she's making her clothes and she enrolls in a modern modeling course figuring that if no one can hear her hear her voice in a photo she should be good yeah and with those connections she starts modeling she's doing runway classes she's doing that kind of stuff and in fall of 47 she moves to new york okay yeah you're really bad at reacting <laughs> she moved to new york what am i supposed like, to say <laughs> where's her husband oh <laughs> that's what i would say oh, but sorry that's, i didn't know that she went without him yeah she did but that's fine we'll just keep going <laughs> so she was planning to act on stage and she she ended up spending the summer of 1950 as an understudy okay oh wait sorry i skipped a whole bunch <laughs> so she moves to new york and shortly after arriving to manhattan now this is going to be like, we say a lot. That's a trigger warning, but this Sean's really going to have nothing to say to say to this. So she arrives in New York and a young man approaches her at, on Broadway, right? While she's window shopping. And he's like, hey, do you want to go dancing with me and another couple? And she's like, yeah, because I'm from Tennessee. Right. And I don't know any better. Yeah. And he leads her to a car that already has another couple in it. So they drive to Queens and they pick up a bunch of dudes. Mm. And they keep going. Then they pull over and the other, only other woman gets out, literally runs away from the car. And the men all gang rape her. Jesus Christ, dude. So they let her go. Betty goes home. She doesn't press any charges. Instead, she calls Billy, her husband, who didn't come with her. Yeah. He's back in Tennessee. She told him she was going to come home and Billy is psyched because Billy loves her like yeah. a lot. She's just the one who's always out doing whatever she wants to do. Yeah. And he's like, "Okay, well, I can't let you go anywhere, do anything." Like clearly because she just runs away. <laughs> she just runs away. <laughs> so he's like, "I'll just be here." Um, being an unhealthy, overprotective male, right? <laughs> yeah. And she was like, well, this is nonsense. I'm not going to stand for this. And by November, she filed for divorce. Okay. So that's when she moved back to New York. And by 1950, she was acting as an understudy. 
Okay. So she goes she goes out for a walk on Coney Island in October of 1950. And a man approaches her. This is going to end well. And asks her if he's, she's ever done any modeling. And apparently she has forgotten everything that she's learned from her gang <laughs> rape experience and is like, Ugh. she's like, yeah, let's engage in some banter. But she lies to him and she says, no, I've never modeled or anything. And he starts saying, hey, do you want to model for me? I run this thing. And he's actually a cop who does shutterbug type classes on the side, right? Okay. So they have these these camera clubs were real big at this time where like one person would model and like a whole bunch of people would come in to shoot them and see if they like different angles and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So she agrees to model for him. And at the first session, he stuffed her bra and said, your forehead's too big. Like you need bangs. <laughs> His name was Jerry Tibbs, and he's the reason we have Betty Bangs now. Oh. So the photos were picked up by a Harlem newspaper and were so extremely popular that they ended up releasing Laura Page, which was Betty before her bangs. Oh. And they called him Betty's cousin. But she became like the absolute darling of the amateur camera clubs at this point. Okay. So one of the camera clubs she posed for was Cast Cars. Concord Camera Circle. Right. Mm-hmm. So Cascar organized like massive weekend photo shoots with four or five models, but as many as 60 photographers. Okay. And these shoots would a lot of times be outdoors and they would be nude. So at one of these shoots, the cop showed up. Like they raid the place. No. Oh. And they threw the entire group into the back of a paddy wagon. Jesus Christ. So the photos would have been appropriate, like for Playboy or something like that. Like they weren't they weren't like hustler type of photos. Yeah. The group was still charged with indecent exposure and disturbing the peace. Mm. So Betty continued to model and it led to being in like three or four different magazines, which introduced her to a guy named Irving Claw. Okay. He was, he considered himself to be the pinup king. Okay. And during the World War II, the way he got his start, well, he had like two businesses before this, but the way that he became the pinup king was he started a mail order business and he provided movie star photos to servicemen overseas. Gotcha. So at one point he was getting around like 300 orders a day from servicemen. <laughs> like, just send me a picture of so-and-so. So after a while, new types of requests started coming in. Like requests he didn't used to get. And they wanted, men wanted damsel in distress type of photos. Or they wanted bound and gagged women. Women spanking other women. So Claw introduced a subscription model and created content men were looking for. The photos were posed to meet the requests, which ranged from women in bikinis to women with bare feet <laughs> or women wrestling each other or tying each other up. So no fetish was too weird for him as long as it didn't involve nudity, sex acts, or physical harm. Hmm. So what he was doing was 
completely literally legal. just staging photos. Correct. So Betty was making bank at this point. So when she was a secretary, she made between one and two dollars an hour. Yeah. But now she's making ten dollars an hour. Her longest day were five hour shoots. Nice. And if she completed the full shoot, she got a fifty dollar tip. Cool. She was injured during one of Claw's wrestling films, though, when June King, who was a redhead redhead model, landed on her knee. Ah. And the high heel from King's shoe made contact with the knee. Ah. And it not only sliced it, but it, it like went into it and made it nearly impossible for her to straighten her knee out. Jesus. So that night, she had struggled to make it up the three flights of stairs to her apartment, and she called for help, and they took her to the doctor. And (laughs) And she got raped. (laughs) She called for help, and three guys showed up and raped her. And they raped her knee hole. Raped her all the way up the stairs. (laughs) They raped her all the way home. Wee, 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 wee. So... (laughs) <laughs> I just figure every every seven sentences or so, there's a raping coming. So, the ticker t- gets worse. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, she goes to the doctor. They schedule a surgery, surgery for Monday. Okay? So, the weekend before, while she's in bed, like, she's just complaining. And she claims she heard a loud voice say to her, Betty, you can straighten your leg. Uh-oh. So, she tried, and she could... So she canceled her surgery and went to church. Oh, Jesus. Literally. Yeah. So that's that's where that starts to get bad. Uh Oh, so meanwhile, it's the 19 like meanwhile in our story, we have time jumped and it is now the 1950s. Mid 1950s. Yeah. But now we're in the mid. It's like 55 ish. Are we doing every decade? No. Oh, thank God. So. A senator from Tennessee is pissed about TV, movies, comic books, and pornography. Of course. That's what I said when you were. Seduction of the innocent. Yep. So his Senate subcommittee hearings about violent violent attacks, about violence, attack the comic book industry. And with the help of the child psychologist, Frederick Wertham, in his book on seduction of the innocent, they really, they almost put the comic book industry under. Yeah. Like back, back That's in the That's how day. the Comics Code Authority came out yeah. and everything. So one year after this, the senator, his name was Kefauver, he put Irving Claw under fire. Yeah. The FBI had been receiving complaints about Claw since 1942. They received one in 1942, 44, 45, and 50. So they had started buying photos from him, hoping to find something illegal. Yeah. But they hadn't been able to, right? Right. Like, he's not doing anything. Right. But Upsetting the Christians. But still, Claw's legal bills were stacking up because he kept getting called in. He kept, you know, they kept having to research stuff. So in May, that senator from Tennessee, he came back with a bunch of subpoenas for corrupting the youth. Right? Yeah. His top two offenders were Irving Claw and Betty Page. Ah. So when the hearing started, the senator unsuccessfully tried to link photos of Claw, or I'm sorry, that Claw had taken, to the recent death of a 17-year-old male in Florida. What? This male had tied himself up in a similar way to how Betty Page is often tied up in the photos. 
and he hung himself from a tree. So he was found by his father. And of course, his father was immediately like, the devil. Right. So we now know that it's autoerotic asphyxiation. But in 1955, they didn't know what was happening. The senator called doctors and many of which were parents themselves. And he made sure to prey on that. Okay. When he was trying to get them to side with him. Yeah. But they were to, to testify regarding the pornography that Claw was providing, which, again, it was non-nude pornography. Right. <laughs> like, it's literally just it's, photos. Yeah, that's not pornography. And they were saying that this was ruining the fabric of society and, you know, it was torture. Okay. And it had all these inflated claims. But there People was... People are truly afraid of what they don't understand. Yep. It just terrifies them. What's even weirder, though, is that there were there was no material from Claw, like none of his photos at found at the boy's house. I believe so it. What's the connection? Right. So Claw pled the fifth when he was called to testify. No charges were brought against him and Betty was not called to testify. But their livelihoods were ruined and Betty's mental health just went in the tank, you know, because yeah. she she was blaming herself she was like she didn't ever want to talk to claw again she moved down to florida she married a man she barely knew she found jesus yet again mm. saying that that's going to be center of her whole life she divorced this dude after uh, like a week she moved again and in 1960 she found the bible institute of los angeles okay so she attends class there she then moves to Chicago and attends a different Bible college. She works briefly for Billy Graham. Then she moves to Oregon and decides to attend a college there. While she's in school there, she's like, oh, my gosh, you guys do like missions. I can be a missionary. And they're like, oh, no, not, not you. You've been divorced. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she's like, ah, oh, that's going to that was going to be my goal. That was going to be my thing. My thing was going to be that I'm a missionary. Like, not that I did, like, bondage photos. Right. My thing was going to be that I was a missionary. So she goes back home to Nashville because she had heard news that her... Oops, that's me. um, That her father is dying. And she was like, well, I'm going to get this deathbed confession out of him. That's going to be the plan. Like, since I can't be a mission. Nary. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to get my dad to admit... That he's a giant molester scumbag. So she goes back and she's trying to get him to admit to it in front of his new wife. <laughs> hmm. And he won't because. She's not Angela Lansbury from <laughs> she's, Murder, it's she not wrote, Murder She so Wrote. So she's not pulling that 100% confession rate. So she's like, okay. She's like, None, this is not working out for me. I have to be a missionary. So she's back at her apartment in Nashville and she's like, maybe if I remarried that first husband, they would see me as good. Hmm. That, that sounds like Christian logic. So she seems calls, like they would go for that. So she calls her first husband and she's like, hey, can you come over real quick? And he's like, oh, OK, he shows up and she's like, will you marry me? And because of how you know high school sweetheart love and he always loved her you yeah. know she's the one who left him he was like absolutely i will meanwhile 
smash cut to his house. He just has all these pictures of her hanging <laughs> up everywhere. So she's like, okay, great. Like, I can't wait. She's like, because we're going to go on a mission. Mm. He's like, there it is. And he's There's like, the other shoe. He's like, I have a daughter and <laughs> I have a job at the post office. Like, I can't go anywhere. So she was like, okay, then fuck you. And she called her brother and was like, I need you to help me move. Like, I'm going back to to college or and, I don't know, whatever. And he she was did. Doing. He stopped by and raped her and then they did take care of the rest. <laughs> so she so she um she leaves him immediately. Like I, no joke, they did not have sex to consummate the new marriage and she immediately filed for an annulment. What the hell? Yeah. Cause she was like, if you're not coming with me then we can't do this. So she leaves him and she goes she goes and um, meets a new guy and marries him. His name is Henry Lear. Okay. So this is now her third husband and fourth marriage. Okay. For people keeping track. So 1971, she leaves him. <laughs> okay. I need you to understand this. <laughs> She's like, I'm leaving to go write a book about myself and the prophecies that I've received. And as soon as he hears this, he's like, I'm filing for divorce. <laughs> so he went, he files for divorce immediately, and it is granted in 1972, January of 1972. Betty finds out that she's gotten divorced while she is at a place called Bible Town. Right. It is a motel. Right. Uh, where they have Bible studies. It is a motel Bible study. Right. And when she finds out... Cosmo, she, get out of there. Get him out of there. Come here, Cosmo. Sorry. That's my Cosmo. Cosmo is our newest dog, by the way. Yes. He's a puppy. We have... And an idiot. Dogs. So... So when she finds out that she, ha, that she has gotten divorced, she grabs her 22 and starts shouting... About the retribution of God around Bible Town. Okay. Up and down the halls, running around. Gotcha. So, fearing for everyone's safeties, the cops were called and she was tackled by a Bible Town staffer. <laughs> now, the cops called Harry over the whole thing yeah. because that gun was Harry's. Oh, okay. And he felt guilty. So he went and picked her up and let her stay with him and his kids. Hmm. He had a son and a daughter. And he decided to add on to his house so that way she had her own place to stay since they weren't married anymore. Wow. Yeah. Now, the room was still under construction in April, same year. When Betty called Henry and the kids into the living room, she told them all to stand in front of the picture of Jesus and she pulled out a knife and told them to pray. And she said, quote, if you take your eyes off this picture, I'll cut your guts out. That sounds healthy. After what seemed like forever to Harry, he told Betty, I'll be right back to pray. But then he excused himself to go to the bathroom. He climbed out the window, ran to the neighbor, had the neighbor call the police, climbed back in the window and came back out to the living room to assume his position in front of Jesus. 
Because <laughs> his kids were there. Yeah. So the police showed up and she was still screaming on top of her lungs and she was charged with breach of peace. She was committed to the state mental health facility. She stayed there for four months and then was released into Harry's care. Harry had finished that, that addition by now. And Betty had her own bedroom, her own bathroom, her own cooking area, and a completely separate separate entrance. The the mouth noises that are coming from over there and, and are, are being recorded. Like, there's going to be so much I'm being, editing. Needed. I'm being loved on by our puppy. I'm trying to do it quietly. He's licking my face and my ear. And I don't know what to do with him. I'm sorry. So police were called again in October of 72 to Harry's house. And when they got there, Betty was hitting Harry repeatedly in front of the house. With yep. what? Her hands. Oh, okay. So the officer who arrived thought she may need more mental help and put her in the back of his car. Good call, Dick Tracy. <laughs> he was like, I'm really good at this. Watch. So he puts her in the back of his car while he questioned Harry. And when he comes back to her, she had her dress pulled up. Her panties around her knees. Oh, my God. Her hands cuffed. I, you know, I was going to make a rape joke. And look. And she was masturbating with a coat hanger that uh, he had left in the back of I, I, the car. Okay. The That's a twist. Squad car. That is a twist. The official paperwork had Betty Page listed as, quote, definitely psycho. And he, <laughs> That's the official term. And he drove her back to the mental hospital where she was treated for cuts from the coat hanger. Okay. This are we done? Are we Almost. done with this yet? Almost. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She stayed in the hospital for six months this time. No one knows why she was so different when she was released the second time, but she came out very reserved. She became an avid gardener and maintained a really impressive yard at Harry's house. <laughs> So six years later, in 1978, Betty moved to California to be near her older brother, Jimmy. And a year later, she stabbed her elderly landlords. Mm. When the police responded to the call, the two victims, who are husband and wife, told them that Betty had stabbed them, but they were unable or but they were able to get the knife away from her. And they said that the attack was completely unprovoked. So the officers picked up Betty and noted immediately that, quote, suspect is mentally unstable. Betty was admitted to another mental hospital at this time, and she was sentenced to five years inpatient. But she was released in less than two and switched to outpatient. Right? So she should have been in jail. Right. Or in Psychiatric mental. care. Yeah. Four months later, this is the end. Four months later, Betty climbed on top of Leonie Haddad while she was asleep in bed. While Leone struggled to figure out what was happening, Betty sliced Leone's face into a Joker smile. Oh. She then sl- stabbed Leone four times, barely missing her heart. Leone raised her hand to protect herself, and Betty stabbed it eight times, severing the top of her third finger. With her other hand, Leone grabbed the phone off the nightstand and smashed Betty in the head with it. With Betty off her chest, Leone was finally able to catch her breath and scream. With that, Betty jolted awake and left the room. Leone fumbled downstairs, got the door open, and ran to the neighbors for help. An hour later, the police... The, P- 
the police got to the house, <laughs> broke down the door, and found Betty standing in the shower, fully clothed, trying to wash the, out the bloodstains. And that's where I'm going to end it. So that chick lived? Yeah. So Betty Page never killed anyone? <laughs> Betty Page... Um, almost. Betty Page went on trial for attempted murder. And? Uh, they tried to find her competent, but they ended up finding her incompetent to stay on trial. She got some mental health help. She remained relatively um, schizophrenic for the rest of her life. I read that Dave Stevens, who is a who was a comic book artist, he passed, uh, I think, from cancer. But uh, he created the Rocketeer. Yeah, I know who it is. And he created a character named Jenny, who looked just like Betty Page. Jenny. And and if you watch the Rocketeer movie, Jennifer Connelly looks like spitting image Betty Page, basically. But I guess he spent time with Betty Page before she died. A lot of people spent time with Betty Page. Is that, is that a rape joke? <laughs> no. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> God damn, this poor woman. Yeah, damn. she had some shit. Well, that was um, miserable and depressing. I'm glad you shared it. I found it informational because uh, Betty Page is always put on such a pedestal. Yeah. And she had so much happen to her yeah. and did so much. And I, like, would that career have been what it was if she hadn't been? I don't want to think about that. You know, man, that was that was depressing. So, so depressing. There's something I'd rather talk about Chris Pratt's Mario voice. (laughs) That's less depressing somehow. So there you go. That's that's my topic. Did you like it? Wonderful. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, is that is that what we have this week? That's what we had this week. Oh, yeah. Well, good job keeping it light. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Good job not engaging with me at all. I engaged. I engaged quite a bit, I think. To go, yeah. <laughs> oh. Is that a Did you ever joke? think that, like, maybe if you didn't cover your topic so well, I'd have more questions? Like, I don't, so I don't questions. cover my topic very well, so you have to ask questions. because it It's makes, not so much questions. It's I'm, more I'm like... saying stuff that makes no sense, so you have to engage to make sense of what I'm saying. But you're you're super thorough, so it's like I no, I purposely, no I purposely ended like, it early. Uh, you ended it early. Yeah, with the like all I ended it with was she was standing in the shower rubbing her stuff because that's how you would end the movie, right? Like you don't want it to keep going. <sighs> you just end it with that like really unsettling image of someone washing, trying to wash blood out of the dress. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. I hope this episode was everything you hoped it would be. It 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 ticked that box for me. So it's, it's everything I, I hoped it would be and more. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>